Today we are called to persevere through prayer. I know it's not just me, but many of us who are here can attest to the barrage of things that are clouding our minds and our lives with so many worries of the world. Many of us are tired of the demonization of our politics. Unfortunately, there are some consequences to life in our fast-paced culture. News cycles have been drastically shortened, much like most attention spans. We learn about the threats to programs such as Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program and new Supreme Court rulings. We learn about governmental regimes being overturned or ousted in other parts of the world. We learn about the intent to return to federal executions for incarcerated persons on death row and other separations at the southern border. We learn about small children dying in overheated cars and farmlands drowning out our produce, driving up the prices, many of our grocery items. So if there were time, if in their time during the first century that they had to pray, then it's time for us to pray. If in their time it was anything close to our time and they felt any possible distresses of the distresses that we feel, they knew there was a need for prayer. Then it was no wonder why the disciple asked Jesus for a tutorial in prayer. As a clergy person, it's not uncommon to hear lay people say, I don't know how to pray. Reverend, I don't pray out loud. Here Jesus points to his confidence in the efficacy of prayer. This text is a shortened version of what we recite each and every Sunday. Here it is in response to the question asked by his disciple. Yet a more complete exposition of this prayer is found in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel according to Matthew. In Matthew's version, Christ advises his disciples to live in constant prayer. And I think if we take a closer look, we'll see in Luke, yes, the same admonishment, to live in constant prayer, to persevere through prayer. Since it is clear that these days we're in are beset with all sorts of renewed challenges from our racist past and the unforgiving spirit of slavery, we are reminded that prayer is still needed. We are reminded that prayer is still wanted because of so many of the social ills and plagues that we all experience all around us. We are reminded that prayer is still demanded of us, not only for ourselves, but friends and neighbors around us. The question is, do we believe in the prayer that we say in unison each and every time we gather for worship? Almost every time we come into these doors for a moment to worship together as a body of Christ, corporately, we say this prayer. Some have called it, for that reason, a lazy prayer, a prayer that you don't have to think about because you may have learned it from the time you were a child and you recite it from rote memorization. But I consider it a pastoral prayer. Our senior minister will often refer to it as our family prayer. And for many of us, this was the prayer that our families taught us and we learned at home. 
I know it is one of the earliest prayers we began to teach our children. And we hope that they will hold on to that prayer. This parable of this persevering and unrelenting friend is unique to Luke's gospel. Yes, journeys were usually made at night in order to avoid traveling in the heat of the day. Some of you ventured out last Sunday during the heat wave to come to worship. And if you did, you know why they waited till after the sun would set until the dark hours of the evening to go traveling. Amen, somebody. It was hot last weekend. And these people were smart. You know, you had to do the, mo the bulk of your work in the evening. And so Luke tells us this parable to emphasize the importance of prayer. To emphasize to us that we cannot trivialize our prayer life by limiting it to what the late Episcopal preacher Philip Brooks once called a wish turned heavenward. No, God is not room service and God is not moved by wishing upon a star. This gospel writer gives more emphasis to Jesus' practice of prayer than any other gospel. It tells about the Spirit coming upon Jesus while he was praying and that he withdrew to desolate places to pray from time to time. He prayed before significant turning points in his ministry. He prayed at Gethsemane. He prayed on the cross. He prayed at table with his disciples, according to Luke. If we look at this gospel and did an exegetical survey, we'd see a whole lot of prayer going on. Beloved, prayer, like faith, has to be an integral part of our very being. God expects no empty petitions, but relationships with us. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God, a relationship with God, talking to God and listening, of course, because we have that relationship with God. I was reminded of a book that I was introduced to while in seminary. His book captured African-American prayers across two centuries. It was the church history professor, James Melvin Washington, and the title of the book is Conversations with God. Conversations with God, where he has brought together a compilation of various prayers. And in one particular prayer, in 1958, written by Charles Eric Lincoln. Some of you may know the name C. Eric Lincoln. C. Eric Lincoln was a professor of sociology and religion and culture at Duke University. He was also a United Methodist minister. Yes, even a friend of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and even Alex Haley. But his seminal work we were introduced to in seminary was the black church in the African-American experience. If anyone took James Cone, you were introduced to see Eric Lincoln's work if you hadn't been already. And here it was that the church history professor, James Melvin Washington, incorporated a poem from C. Eric Lincoln. I knew he was a scholar, but the poem had almost been lost on me. And you see a portion of it, the very end of it, on the cover of the bulletin today. And in that last portion, Lincoln writes, Lord, let me love the lowly and the humble, forgetting not the mighty, the mighty and the strong, and give me grace to love those who may stumble, to love those who may stumble, nor let me seek to judge of right or wrong. Lord, 
Let my parish be the world unbounded. Let love of race and clan be at an end. Let every hateful doctrine be confounded that interdicts the love of friend for friend. Amen. And what I took away from this, this particular poem that Lincoln writes, again lifts up an important distinction that Jesus uses in this moment, teaching the disciples how to pray. That would be the institution of friendship. Jesus lifts up friend. That's an important identifier for Jesus. If you remember going back, Jesus called his disciples friends. At one point he said, after they'd been hanging out with him for a while, I no longer call you servants, but friend. It's important to know who your friends are. It's important to know that they're available to you. And this was yet an important distinction to him. For Jesus, it gives his parable perspective when he uses this relational identifier. What is notable about the friend in this passage is that he reminds us of the widow and the judge later in Luke's gospel. You remember that parable, don't you? The widow persisted in seeking justice against her opponent and her perseverance paid off, but she wasn't even called friend. What Jesus wants us to know this day is that the dogged determination of the friend serves as a reminder that God will still bring about justice and mercy. However, let us not be mistaken. The purpose and result of constant prayer is not to change God's mind. Perseverance through prayer is an expression of deep faith that allows the ongoing presence of God to have power over our lives. That old hymn that says, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne, makes all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my heart has often found relief and oft escaped the tempted snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sometimes in life we are tempted to think that we receive no benefit from our prayers, but the hymn writer says that's a sweet hour, a time to commune with God, a time to talk, and a time to listen, a time to shed off your burdens, and a time to be filled with joy. A time to let go of the wiles of the devil and a time to be filled with God's power. Yes, we have benefits in prayer. We begin to think that God is on vacation and our prayers will not be answered. But yet God hears our prayers. Beloved, I exhort you to be like the, the persevering friend in your prayer life. You know, in some, some scholarly works, they call this uh, friend here, as Jesus says in our text, the shameless neighbor. Because he pressed until he got what he wanted, like that reference to the widow. But if he is your friend, would you not open your door to give what you have to your friend? Pursue God with fervor and zeal. That's what perseverance through prayer means, as if your life depended on it. And know that when you pray, something always happens. Something always happens. Sometimes we don't like the responses to our prayers, but even that's for our good. Amen, somebody. We don't like to admit it, but sometimes it's for our good. Yes, brazen and unapologetic in racism and bigotry, we're finding examples all over the news. 
After Jim and Jane Crowism, after the Voting Rights Act, after the Civil Rights Act, we saw a shift in our culture concerning race relations. There used to be consequences to being a racist and a bigot. Just recently on the news, another smartphone video that has gone viral shows a woman in North Carolina using the N-word because she wanted to be offensive and insulting to African-American women in a restaurant. When asked by the local news station reporter, she said, the, the reporter asked, did you know that that was offensive and insulting? She said, I know that. That's why I said that to them. I said, oh my, another reason to pray. Another reason to pray. In a case like this, Jesus is saying, keep praying. Keep praying. Don't just stop. I love that he introduces to us the Lord's Prayer, and then he gives us this parable about this unrelenting friend, determined to get what he needs, and then comes back to the reminder why it's important to keep praying. How many of you know the game show Wheel of Fortune? Wheel of Fortune, a few of you, okay. I don't think it's on Game Show Network. That came about in the mid-90s. But growing up, I remember after dinner, we would watch television as a family. It was almost like a ritual. That hour between 7 and 8, and for us back home, it was in the reverse order. Wheel of Fortune came on first, then Jeopardy. And it kind of set you up, got your mind started, put your thinking cap on, right? As we would try to win the right to the puzzle and the one to solve it first in our home, I remembered that because growing up, as, as antiquated as it may sound, as much as it may date me, and it may age me even, we had one television. So what my mom wanted to watch, we all had to watch. If it was something my dad wanted to watch, we all had to watch. And so we watched Wheel of Fortune, and it came on, and we were, again, all in, much almost like a family scrabble night. Almost each episode today includes a puzzle entitled, What Are You Doing? Not every episode, Ben, but most of them. And I watched, and in my estimation, it is one of the easiest to begin to solve. Why? Because invariably, the first word in the puzzle is an active participle ending in I-N-G. Ergo, watching a movie, or washing the laundry, or cooking dinner, or vacationing on the Riviera, or skiing in the mountains. No matter the task or event, it was always the continual action that was key to the game show contenders. Because if you spun the wheel and you got $900 and you call for an in, you would get an in. And you'd get $900, and if there were more ins, even more money than that. If you call for a G on a $400 spend, you'd get at least one G, and if there were more, you'd get more money than that. And then you were confident when it was time to buy a vowel because you knew there was at least one, and you'd ask to buy an I. And you knew that you were on your way as you were building out that puzzle, trying to get some money, trying to dodge and avoid bankrupts, time to avoid the loser turn. You were all in trying to get this money because you knew that it ended in something I-N-G. That was the easy one. That was the trigger for me. 
This is what our scripture is teaching us today. From beginning to end, the primary matter here has to do with prayer, but not just the prayer you said yesterday, not just the prayer you uttered this morning, not just the prayer you learned last year. We are encouraged by this gospel to pray confidently because we know God's readiness to answer our prayers. The imperatives here are appealing to God's divine wisdom and omnipotence. So God is saying, don't just ask one time, keep on asking. Don't just seek one time, keep on seeking. Don't just knock one time, keep on knocking. Ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Keep on asking and God will keep on answering, church. Keep on searching for God as God is always searching for you. And keep on knocking and you will find justice and mercy falling down from heaven. So when someone asks, what are you doing? Tell them you are going to keep on praying. You're going to keep on praying. You're going to keep on asking. You're going to keep on searching. You're going to keep on knocking because God is going to keep on moving. Just stand back and watch. Ask, seek, knock. Not once, not twice, but just like winning that Jeopardy puzzle, you're going to keep on doing it. Asking, seeking, knocking, and watch the mercies from heaven fall down upon you. Amen.